Welcome to the Gathering at Adel. Today's message is our first in the series from the book of Philippians. Today we'll be looking at verses 27 and 28 from chapter 1. You know, a lot of people are still trying to figure us out, who we are, what's our vision, our beliefs, our values, that sort of thing. You know, and, and honestly, so are we. Uh, we know that our vision statement uh, for what we feel like the Lord has called us to, it says that as sons and daughters of God, fully devoted to the living word and to life of the spirit, we long to love and to serve our community and to make a way for all to come to know Jesus. That, that's who we feel like, like we, we're supposed to be. We're sons and daughters of God, fully devoted to the living word, which is Jesus Christ, given to the life of the Spirit, which when you talk about the Holy Spirit, you have the fruit of the Spirit, you have the gifts of the Spirit, and you have the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We are fully devoted to the Holy Spirit, to the life and the Spirit, and we're devoted to love and to serve this community. And that's what we've been looking at even now, three months in. What, when we say to long, we long to love and to serve this community, We've begun to map out the area, and we'll have a big map out here at some point in the near future of what that area is. And these are people that we are constantly praying for, their, their cities and areas. And, I mean, it goes in our head right now. It's the Garner, Perrin, Witt up here, like Adel, Poolville, Peaster, down to like 920, 1885, like right in this area. And so that's the area that we feel called to long to, to serve them and to, to make a way for all to come to know Jesus. You know, we are, that might not really answer a whole lot of your questions, but we are definitely spirit-filled. We are definitely presence-focused. We truly believe that the presence of God is... What changes everything? That's what we talked about today. That's what we sang about today. Just one look, just one word, just one mention. An encounter with him changes everything. If you look in the, in the Bible, everyone that encountered God was no longer the same. I mean, when you look at Jacob who wrestled with him, he came back limping. His walk was forever changed by an encounter with the Lord. Your walk should be forever changed with an encounter with the Lord. It says that Moses' face would glow, and they would know when he was in the tent of meeting. Because his face would glow, it would radiate. When you look in John chapter 8, it says that there was a man that was born blind. He encountered Jesus. Jesus took mud, put it in his eye socket, and he could see. And it says that the man was unrecognizable. That everybody around him didn't even recognize him as the same person because he had encountered Jesus and he had received what he needed. And so when what we're talking about is that we are spirit-filled, that we are presence-focused, and we are unapologetic, passionate pursuers of Jesus Christ. It might make some of y'all uncomfortable the way that some people worship and shout and sing and talk a little bit louder than what you're used to in a church setting. But we are unapologetic, passionate pursuers of Jesus Christ. So we're not even going to begin to apologize for our passion. And it's a pursuit of him. We are spirit-filled, we are presence-focused, and we are passionate pursuers. Unapologetically, we love him, we adore him, and everything we do, it's to give him glory. So we love that. And can I just say for me, my wife, the staff, we thoroughly enjoy this. Like, we're not... This is not a burden. Leading you people, leading this church, and caring, it's not a burden it's an absolute joy and honor. I, I thoroughly enjoy 
what I'm doing. This is not a stepping stone onto a bigger, better church that to pad my resume, which I haven't even ever made one, so you don't have to worry about it, right? I've never needed a job that I've had to interview for. I'm a pretty good salesman myself. I don't need a piece of paper to tell you how good I am. I, I do a good job of that. And so, like, I'm not do, using this to go somewhere else. We are here. We are here to stay, and it is a joy. Like, we, we get to worship together. And I don't get to really see what's happening on behind me, but I hear it, and it's joyful. And so I just want to encourage you guys, this is a blessing to be here. <laughs> not for all of us, apparently. <laughs> Some people are not happy. But do you see why I don't let my wife have a mic? Because it just really shows how much better she is than me, and I want you to think... What a joy that I married up. We started a new series this week called Out of the Book of Philippians. We didn't call it Philippians. The Bible does. So we started a new series, the Book of Philippians. So we're going to be spending one, each week we'll look at one chapter. And so this past week was Philippians chapter 1. That if you got our emails or follow us on social media, you will see we're asking you to read the chapter ahead of time. So that when we come here, the text makes sense to you or at least you're familiar with it. So you're reading assignment. I hate to even use that word, assignment. But you're reading Homework for this week, that's not any better, is Philippians chapter 2. You can be an overachiever and you can read Philippians chapter 2 twice a day all this week. Or you can read it once. You can read three verses until you get to the end of it by the end of the week. Just to encourage you to take time, to spend time with the Lord, to spend time in his word. And then just begin to see what he speaks to you. And then we'll compare it with what he speaks to me. And uh, can I encourage you, when you sit down, you open your, up your Bible to Philippians chapter 2 this week. Can you just pause and take a moment and say, Father, just teach me. Ha have a piece of paper. It can be a scrap piece of paper, a little notebook or whatever. And just begin to read until you feel something go, hmm, I wonder what that is. What does that mean? And then spend some time, write it down, pray, and allow the Lord to speak to you. All right, Philippians chapter 1 is where we're going to be this week, though. Uh, the book of Philippians was written by Paul around A.D. 62 while he was in prison. Uh, the Kind of the backdrop of the, the book of Philippians, it was a letter written to the church at Philippi. You could read in Acts chapter 16, kind of a little bit of the history as Paul is talking in Acts, what, what it looks like how the church got started. He actually had a vision in Acts chapter 16, uh, verses 8 through 13, where the Lord had told him, hey, I want you to begin to journey into this place. He goes, I want you to cross into Macedonia and spread the gospel there. And so then Paul goes on his journey, and uh, he comes, he meets, this is later in Acts chapter 16, he goes on to meet a lady named Lydia, who was a wealthy lady, and Lydia and her entire household were saved, and Lydia and her household were the, were the ones that started the church at Philippi. And so Paul is writing to this church in Philippians, uh, or in Philippi, he's writing to the Philippians and to encourage them. In some of Paul's other epistles, it's kind of like a, maybe not as warm and fuzzy, you know, maybe he's addressing some situations that have come up. But in the book of Philippians, this is a letter from Paul that is absolutely enjoyed. This is the warmest letter that Paul has written to any of his churches. Some of them you can read and go, Ouch, Paul, how could you say that? But 
This one, Philippians, is an encouragement. He's in prison because of the gospel in Rome, and he's writing them. And what's interesting, the overall theme in the book of Philippians, it's a very short book. It's four chapters. The overall theme is joy and rejoice. I think that word, if you go back to the original language, appears over 14, 15 times. Joy and rejoice. And that's got to be a lesson to us because Paul is in prison and chains and he's teaching people to be joyful and to rejoice. And he's excited to, to uh, write to the letter uh, to, to his church there. So we're going to look at Philippians chapter 27 and 28 today. If you want to go ahead and turn there, it says just one thing. I'm reading out of the Christian Standard Bible. Yours might be a little bit different, but it should be very close. It says just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, that you are contending together for the faith of the gospel. And verse 28 says, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation. And this is from God. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. This is not something new that's only for the church at Philippi. Paul wrote this a couple of different times. In Ephesians, he wrote, I urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received. In Colossians, he said, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, pleasing to him, bearing much fruit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 says, live worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and his glory. You see that, that this is not a new thing to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. And Paul is beginning to teach us. And so we're going to look at this and we're going to uh, begin to just kind of break that down. But Paul talks about living a life worthy of the gospel. In order to do that, there's three things. We must be consistent, we must contend, and we must be confident. The first one, it says, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit. So Paul's first encouragement, if you're taking notes, this is under the consistent. It says to stand firm. Stand firm means to hold fast to your beliefs and to resist temptation. To not give the enemy back the ground that you've taken. You see that, that Paul is a perfect example of this. That, that if we're going to stand firm, that we're going to hold fast to our beliefs and we're going to resist temptation. That, that we're going to live lives that are consistent with the gospel. You see, it's really easy to believe things. It's very hard to walk out those beliefs. But Paul is telling them, I want you to stand firm. I want you to be consistent in your beliefs and in your walk. And Paul is the perfect per person to say this because Paul is in prison because of his beliefs. Paul is saying, I want you to stand firm, be consistent in your walk because it might cost you something, but your beliefs have to match your actions. And Paul is the perfect example. There's a book, I don't know if you've read it, it's not really a fun read. It's called Fox's Book of Martyrs. And it's stories all through history of people who have been martyred for the sake of the gospel. And there's this one story where there's two martyrs that are about to go before and be executed to be beheaded. And one of them is very proud and he says, I'll never turn my back on the Lord. 
and he's confident in it. And there's another one that prays humbly and he says, Father, I, I know I'm so weak that at any moment I could deny you. I just pray for the strength to not deny your name. And the one who was so confident and bold to proclaim to everyone else around him that was about to go to be executed, the one that was so confident never confessed Christ and he was let go. But the one that was humble, that was aware of his situation and his weakness, when he was brought before his executioner, he confessed Christ and he was beheaded. You see that our beliefs have to match our actions. It's one thing to be prideful and say that I'll never turn my back on you, that I'll, I'll stand firm for the gospel. It's another thing to be willing to lose your life for it. There's a movie, it's older, it's called Remember the Titans. If you haven't seen it by now, you won't be spoiled by what I'm about to say because you weren't going to watch it anyways. But it's back in, this, in the days of segregation where they bring together a football team. And, and back then, you, you didn't mix the, the black people, white people playing on the same football team. And they, they bring them together. And it, it goes about like you would imagine in, in the 60s in America. It was horrible. The people didn't get along. The kids were always at fighting and not getting along. But they come together. And the, 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 the team is doing well. But the people are not happy about it. In the town, they're all mad. And they come to a game, and the officials have rigged the game. They're calling it against the Titans because they're not happy that there's different races on the same team. And every play, it's, it's a penalty against the Titans. And there's been conflict because they have the black head coach, they have the white head coach, and they have to come together, and they have to work together. And there's been conflict all throughout the movie. But it comes up to the point where it's the defensive coach and he's the white, the white guy, he's the defensive coach. And he says, I'm tired of the excuses. He says, but every time I, I do it, they call holding. He says, I'm tired of it. Quit making excuses. And he calls his defense together. And I mean, it's like an inspiring moment. And he says, not one more yard. I don't want them to cross the line of scrimmage. One more time, if they cross it, I'm pulling you all out. And he says, I want you to blitz every play and not one more yard. And he said, they will remember the day that they played the Titans. And, and when we're talking about stand firm, that's exactly what the Lord is saying. He's telling you right now, he's telling me, not one more yard. Quit giving the enemy the territory that has already been purchased for you. When we allow the enemy to trick us and fool us and allow him to attack us in our finances, attack us in our children, and our health, and all these things, everything has been purchased for us. And we allow the enemy to just push us back and push us back. And push us back because we're too weak, we're too lazy, and we're too big of a sissy to stand firm and not allow him to push us back. But he's saying, stand firm. Let your beliefs match your actions. Resist 
temptation. And Paul is writing it as an encouragement. He's not telling them, you sorry dogs, the enemy's running all over you. No, he says, I find it complete joy and I rejoice in the fact that I hear about you and that you're standing firm. You're contending for the gospel. You're not being frightened by your opponent. But I'm here to encourage you today to stand firm. When you get freedom in one area of your life, don't so easily give it back to the enemy. Stand firm. You have to get, it's a battle. We talk about this every week. It's a spiritual battle. Don't allow him to push you back. The enemy has already been defeated. Quit making excuses. That one struck somebody. I like it. Quit making the excuses. To stand firm means to be consistent. Consistent with what I believe and how I live. The Bible says it's not just enough to believe it. It says that even the demons believe and they shudder. But what separates us from them is that not only do we believe it, but we walk it out every day. We have to be consistent in our walk. It's easy to make the right choice once, to make the right choice time and time again, to be consistent. It requires us to quit making excuses. You see, so many times we're tempted, and, and you know, my, my public struggle with Dr. Pepper, and, and we would just love to say, Lord, just make me not want to drink any more Dr. Pepper. That would be the easiest thing. But the Lord said, Second Peter, that I've given you everything that you need for life and godliness. You see that, that we want God not only to part the Red Sea, but to transport us over it so we don't have to walk through it. You see that, that by standing firm means that when we come up against something, my beliefs are going to match my actions. That, yeah, the Red Sea was parted, but yet they had to walk through it themselves. Their actions had to match their belief of who God is. And I'll tell you that you'll know exactly what level of belief you have by what level of actions you follow him with. You'll know exactly how big you view God by how you walk that out. Your actions will only match your beliefs to the same level. If you don't think that God is able to part the Red Sea and you walk on it on dry ground, which is a whole nother miracle in and of itself, if you don't believe that that is possible, then you won't walk through the dry ground. You see that, that we're so excited for God to come and save us and, and, and have us escape and do all the work when he said, I've already done it all. I've given you everything that you need for life and for godliness. Our actions have to reflect our beliefs. We're going to move quickly. Don't worry. Our second one is to contend. If we're going to live a life that's worthy of the gospel, our lives have to be consistent and he says we also have to contend. Paul's next encouragement is to contend together for the faith of the gospel. You see, we stand firm individually, but we contend corporately. When united, the church, whether local or worldwide, is the most dominating force that's ever been established. Jesus even said that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But the key is unity. You see that, that when we come together as a church, this tiny church in the middle of nowhere, but when we come together, that we can do even more things than we can even imagine. That when, when you take this number of people, actually Martin Luther, back 
said, give me 10 people that are passionate for the gospel and I'll change the world. Jesus changed the entire known world with 12 disciples. In this room, and I'm counting kids because they're probably more equipped than most, most of us are. But in this room, if we're united, there's nothing that can come against us that will prevail. When the church corporately, worldwide, the body of Christ comes together, Jesus promises not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. Why do we, why do we pray for the local churches? It's not so that maybe randomly they'll hear about it and they won't hate us for starting a new work. It's because I know that what the Lord wants to do in this area, it's gonna require more than just me. It's gonna require something that the world has yet to see. Churches united together. Unity promotes joy, or unity births joy. I'm gonna read real quick Psalm 133. It's very short, three verses. It says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. It is like fine oil on the head, running down on the beard, running down Aaron's beard onto his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon falling on the mountains of Zion, for the Lord has appointed the blessing, life forevermore. You see that unity promotes or births joy. Disunity births chaos. You see, I, I'm not a musical person other than the inside voice that I have in my head of James singing. But, but in music, you have like consonant harmony and dissonant harmony, all right? So like consonant harmony is where notes go together and they pair nicely. Kelly and James. Seth, they pair nicely. Throw me in there, we got some dissonant harmony going on. But, but this consonant harmony is where things flow together. And listen to the definition of a consonant harmony. It says that it, it's agreeable, it's easy to listen to, and it's pleasing. You see, that, that's, that's what a harmony is. When the, church, when, the, when the world looks at the church that is in consonant harmony, it's pleasing. How about this? It's easy to listen to. Why does the, why does the world not listen to the church? Because there's not unity. Dissonant harmony is harsh and it's grating and it's difficult to listen to. I mean, Paul says in other places, I think it's in uh, 1 Corinthians when he's talking about love, he says, all of these things, love is this, love is this. And he says, without love, you're nothing more than a clanging cymbal or a gong. You see that, that where there's unity, all of a sudden the world looks at us and wants to be a part of it. Because there's unity and unity births joy. Even our belief statement, we talked a little bit about our vision, but our belief statement is the Apostles' Creed. That's not something that's really talked a lot about, but the Apostles' Creed was what the, the ancient church, the original church, got together and they came up with the core foundational beliefs from the Bible. They put it all together. And they, they did that so that this could unite all believers. It was actually called the believer's baptism. So when you got ready to be baptized, you would be able to recite this. And this is where like the Catholic catechism comes off of this because it's the foundational truth. Like, like everybody can have all the different thoughts on all the different things. But for us, 
you know, you pull up a lot of church websites and, and hey, we believe this about the Trinity, we believe this to God, the Bible, Jesus, Holy Spirit, and it's all this stuff and it, it's, you really can't understand it because I don't, it's just written in a way. But the Apostles' Creed is the foundational truths of the Bible and, and that's what our belief statement is. And our belief is, if you look on our website, the belief statement on that, it goes that we have unity in the essentials. And, and the essential beliefs of who God is, who Jesus is, and the Holy Spirit. We have unity. And, and we can't stray from that. Right? Like the Apostles' Creed starts that, I believe in God the Father, the Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. Done. We can all believe that. No matter what church, Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran, Pentecostal, right? We can all believe that. I believe in God the Father, the Almighty, the maker of heaven and of earth, of, of what is seen and unseen. It's easy. You see, we, we have unity in the essentials. In the non-essentials, there's liberty, right? Like, like liberty means I, I, I allow you and you allow me to believe things that, that really aren't essential to who Jesus is and his blood, death, burial, resurrection on the cross. Like we can have, we can have different views on end times. We can have different views on a lot of different things, whatever, I don't really even know. But we can have a lot of different views and we can have liberty in that because it's not an essential doctrine. So in the essentials, we have unity. In the non-essentials, we have liberty. But in all things, we have unity. We have love. You know, like, like that's what promotes it. And so we, we really try to be pretty simple. Because what we want to do is we want to contend together. He's saying that if you are going to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, that you are going to have to contend together for the gospel. You have to contend together. We have to fight together, not against one another. The church is fractured. Therefore, it is weak and unable to stand against the schemes of the enemy. Do you understand that the Apostles' Creed was the doctrinal statement from the, from the early church till 1066 AD when the church split? You, that's what brought the entire church together all across the world was one statement. And the church was not perfect, but it was consistent and it contended and it brought the gospel to the lost. And if we're going to do that in this area, we have to contend together. And so I, I always say this, you, you know me, like we're, we're going to have different beliefs. We're going to do different things. You're not going to really agree with everything that I say and I'll, I'm not going to agree with everything you say. But for the sake of the gospel, we set those aside. For the sake of the lost in this area, we set those beliefs aside. As long as we agree on the basics, then the lost will come to know Jesus. Because unity births joy. It's harmony together. It's pleasing. It's agreeable. They listen to us if we're all together. And so that's what we want to do. We want to contend for that. Here's the last one. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. We have to be consistent we have to contend, and it says, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. So we have to be confident. The third argument, encouragement from Paul is to not be frightened in any way, to be confident, to be confident in who God is and what he has called you to do. Don't be scattered and run away. That's what that word means, to be scattered and run away, to be startled. Uh, we used to play in Strawn. There, there was a... Uh, there's a funeral home. It's been turned into a bed and breakfast. Go figure. But uh, <laughs> before it was just a bed, no breakfast, right? You know, but now, now, <laughs> was that wrong? <laughs> but we used to play when I was in high school. 
When I was in high school, I used to play hide-and-seek in the funeral home. I was friends with the family. So funeral home was on the bottom, and they lived in the top. Well, I'm afraid of a lot of things, you know, gas prices. I'm afraid of heights. I'm afraid of my wife. I'm afraid of a lot of things. But, like, the dark, I'm not afraid of, right? I'm, and so what I love doing is, is I would love to play hide-and-go-seek with, with, like, new people in, to, in that funeral home. And, like, you know, you, I would always go and hide in the coffin room. Because people are less likely to go in there to look for you, you know? And so my, my cousin is, I mean, that's where the term scaredy cat comes from. You know, like my cousin, he hates that. He was one grade lower than me. Hated the dark, hated to be like, you know, hey, let's go there together. I'm like, no, I'll go hide over here. You know, he didn't want to ever hide anywhere by himself. And so we would always, I would always hide in the coffin room because no one would ever come in there. Or if you could, you could just toss something over there and they would hear it and boom, they would scatter away and it was great. One time as a senior, this is a confession, one time as a senior, I convinced a freshman, I convinced, forced a freshman to go into the coffin and we shut it. It was awesome. <laughs> there wasn't anybody in there. It was empty. So uh, don't think I'm that big of a jerk. But what, what it means is that don't be startled by your opponent. The enemy, you know, we talked about last week, like he roams around like a lion. He, he makes himself seem bigger than what he really is. But don't be startled and run away. Here's an interesting concept. But when scared, dogs bark and lions stand their ground. Have you ever thought it like dogs get scared, they bark, but lions stand their ground. We're made in the image of God. We're made in the image of Jesus Christ, the lion from the tribe of Judah. Like we're made in the image. We're made to be lions. We're not made to be scared dogs. The enemy will throw everything that he can at you. But don't shrink back. Colossians chapter 2. Here's why you don't have to shrink back. Colossians chapter 2 verses 9 and 10. It says that for the fullness of of God dwelt in Jesus Christ in bodily form. The fullness of God dwelt in Jesus. And verse 10 says, and you have been given that same fullness. Why do we not shrink back? Why do we not get startled? Why do we not run away? Because we have the fullness of God that dwells inside of us. So when there's there's something to be scary, whether it's a, a larger bill than you expected, whether it's a diagnosis that you weren't aware of. Well, no matter what it can be, we don't get startled and we don't run away. We stand firm. We hold our ground. And we be confident in who he's called us to be. Here's why we don't have to be scared anymore. John chapter 8, verses, verse 12, said Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. That whoever follows after me will never walk in darkness again. But you'll have the light of life. You see, we don't have to be scared of the dark anymore because we are the light of the world. We, Jesus is the light of the world. We are the light that he's given us and we never have to walk in darkness again. So we can be confident that, yeah, the enemy tries to hide. But wherever we walk, wherever we step our foot, that the light comes and the light dispels the darkness Last verse right here, and then we're going to get out of here. Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. This is probably one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says that since the time of John the Baptist, it says that the kingdom of heaven is violently advancing, and the violent sees it by force. You see that we get a share of the kingdom with the utmost zeal and eagerness. That's why we are unapologetic pursuers 
of Jesus Christ. Because to get a share of the kingdom, it is by eagerness and it is by zeal that the kingdom of heaven violently advances and violent men lay hold of it. That word means forceful. That word is like with the utmost zeal and eagerness, right? That, that the kingdom of heaven is not for people who shrink back and run away, but who, who take it by force. The kingdom of heaven is violently advancing and violent men lay hold of it. Not by bloodshed, but by our eagerness and our passion, our desire. The kingdom of heaven is not for sissies. We've been, we, we've been given this vision of heaven of overweight, bald, toga-wearing, heart-playing people sitting on clouds. And that's what we're going to do when we get to heaven. That was a good description. Overweight, bald, toga-wearing, heart-playing people. But the kingdom of heaven is about violent men. Not sitting up on a cloud playing a harp, singing kumbaya, but it's not allowing the enemy to take back what, the, what Jesus has already purchased for us. If we're going to be, if we're going to take the kingdom of heaven, it's going to be by violence. We're going to deal blows to the enemy. It's, you can't be a sissy. You can't be lazy. You can't be weak. You can't make excuses for your behaviors. Oh, I just drink all the dark paper. Oh, that's just, that's what I always did. Oh, I'm an alcoholic because my dad was an alcoholic. Nope. Blood of Jesus canceled that. You are who you are. Huh, well, that's just how we have to spend our money because we're in it. No. I'm telling you, the violent take the kingdom of heaven. It's full of men and women who stand firm, who contend, and who are confident. Can I encourage you today? I hope today was an encouragement. Maybe it was a little bit of a yelling. I didn't mean it, but I'm passionate for it. Can I encourage you? Can you spend some time? We're going to close with this and we're going to dismiss. But ask yourself, is there an area where I got freedom and I've just allowed the enemy to take it right back? I didn't even fight for it. Is there an area where I've promoted disunity and it's caused the world to not believe in the church? And is there an area where I haven't been confident in who God's called me to be? And I've shrank back and I've been scared. So we're going to close with prayer. And I want you to ask yourself that, those questions. And I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to just answer that right now. If, 